Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. Hi, everybody. On today's podcast, you're going to hear Andrew Scheer, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, speaking about a number of issues, including Stephen Harper visiting the White House. 31% of Americans told Rasmussen reports they expect the United States to be embroiled in a second civil war and sooner than later. And Alex is an Afghan interpreter who accompanied Canadian military missions during the war in Afghanistan. When the troops were shot at, he was shot at. He wants to come to Canada, but nothing is being done to help him get here. We're going to hear from Alex and from a long-serving Canadian military officer who was seriously wounded in Afghanistan. That's all on today's podcast. Fran Coombs, managing editor of Rasmussen, reports on 100 million Americans believing their nation's going to be embroiled in a civil war. Fran, thank you for taking the time, and uh, this sounds serious. Oh, no doubt about it, Roy. I mean, obviously the level of political uh, emotion, if you will, in the country is very high. Uh, but I was amused by the Hillary Clinton's comments. We actually did a survey earlier in the week. We asked people, uh, would America be better off today if Hillary Clinton had been elected president in 2016? And only 40% of people said that, yes, America would be better off with Hillary as president. 47% said no, and the rest were undecided, which means they probably think no. And uh, so it, Ms. Clinton is not missed by Americans. No, I mean, she should just go away. Please. Really. She should just go away. And I saw something else that uh, during the prep for the second debate with Donald Trump, apparently during the uh, during those preparation segments, she dropped the f bomb quite a few times. So that was the story in a British newspaper. So I guess she's she's just emotionally invested, and she needs to go away. But Fran, if you've got if you've got thirty percent or thirty one percent of Americans believing another civil war is going to happen in the United States, Speak to that, please, from the perspective of someone who watches very closely what's happening in the United States, and you've reported on it for years before you became the managing editor of Rasmussen. Right. Well, I mean, we have seen a great deal of unhappiness with the federal government for ages, Roy. I mean, you go back to the Ross Perot candidacy back that basically cost George Bush, the first George Bush, a second term. Uh, you look at, uh, I mean, you, you've seen it all along on both sides. You've seen Ralph Nader in 2000, who took the election away from Gore. Uh, and the Tea Party, of course, in the Obama years, uh, there's been a very a growing segment of the country that is very unhappy with the, the for the for the most part, with the trend toward big government. And Trump is the manifestation of that. I mean, Trump is is neither a Republican nor a Democrat. He's the first independent president we've probably ever had. So when uh, this 31% of Americans believe another civil war is going to happen, what are we talking about? Are we talking about urban violence, such as we saw in uh, in Baltimore, happening in, in, in numerous urban uh, cities or urban areas in the U.S.? Are we talking about armies facing off against one another? What's the expectation? All right. Well, what we, first of all, it's 31% who say it's likely that the United States will have experienced a second civil war sometime in the next five years. Of that 31%, only 11% says it's very likely. So those are the people, that's where the rubber really hits the road. But if you look deeper in that survey, what we see is 59% of people are concerned that the anti-Trumpers, if you will, will resort to political violence. 53% are concerned that people critical of Trump's coverage by the media will resort to violence. So obviously both sides 
are very concerned about what I mentioned earlier, which is the hyper level of political emotion in the country. And of course, in recent weeks, you've seen everything from people being pushed out of restaurants to Maxine Waters up there and practically calling for violence against Trump uh, staffers. So the rhetoric is cranking up also. Yeah, um, I, I think back to uh, I think back to Baltimore, Fran, and and it, the question that I have, and I suppose I, I probably know the answer to this, but if it's a flashpoint event in a large urban area, which sets people off, and for example, in the northeastern United States, and then there's a response on the west coast, and I'm thinking Oakland would probably be one place where the response may initially occur, because that's what happened when Baltimore erupted, then you could have just a series of dominoes. I hope this doesn't happen, but you could have a series of dominoes falling, and you could be back to uh, 1968 or worse. Right. Well, there's no question that, I mean, I think what mitigates against that, Roy, is the improving economy. I mean, the, I mean that's the big thing that the anti-Trumpers can't reconcile themselves with, is the reality of low unemployment, rising salaries, uh, meanwhile, Trump seems to be a, doing a pretty good job overseas. So there are a lot of, when you look back to the 60s, in the inner city, there was a lot of economic dissatisfaction, a lot of high unemployment. Uh, I mean, much like the situation, say, in Iran, when uh, when the folks were in the embassy. You had a lot of men, you had a lot of young men, a lot of testosterone that wasn't being channeled into anything. Uh, there's a lot less of that in the United States today. And I think also, uh, realistically, you know, we're not looking at an 18, 1860 situation where the federal government is going to be marching into states. And also, face it, people don't feel an allegiance to the states like they did back when I, we, our previous civil war when the southern states felt like they were being invaded by the north. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, and I don't want to carry this too far, but I wonder if the anti-Trumpers might try to engineer something. You know, it, I wouldn't say it's out of the question. I think a lot of the political nastiness that we see out there, particularly driven by social media, uh, are paid trolls, uh, Soros-funded type operations and things like that. I would not be surprised at all uh, if the, those folks are out there. They're on the payroll looking for petty controversies to blow up uh, and have everybody gabbing about on Facebook and elsewhere. You know, when we look around the world, there are so many locations, so many countries globally where there's uh, just a, a, a fatigue with dealing with the same old, same old. It's a fatigue of dealing with people who have uh, asked you for a job, and when they get the job, they, they then start to tell you what to do and accuse you of being racist or accuse you of being something or other that you know you're not. They overtax. They just push people around. And I think we've now, I think we reached the tipping point about two years ago, and it's now going in a direction that those uh, who have been in the in the elites cannot stop any longer. Right, and I think you're absolutely correct, and that's what Trump's election was all about, and that's why, as I was saying earlier, Trump's neither a Republican nor a Democrat. As we mm-hmm. recall, the establishments of both parties tried to stop him. He had to basically defeat the Bush machine and then the Clinton machine to get elected president. Uh, so the traditional elites in this city from both parties that were doing very well, whether they were in or out of party, suddenly found no place for the table at the, for themselves at the table once Trump was in office. And uh, I think, they, I think you know, a lot of these people, regardless of their party affiliation, are on the same side, and Trump's bad for their business. The anti-Trump parades and the anti-Trump protests and the, and the uh, 
the activities that, that, that have been going on, some of them yesterday. Uh, how, how many people are actually involved, and, and how much of an impression do you think that those that they are making on the overall American populace? Well, to be honest with you, I, I believe it was Bill Clinton's campaign, in, in, which I'm sure you recall, Roy, what said, it's the economy stupid. Yep. And I think at the end of the day, uh, most Amer- I mean, the loudmouths always get more publicity. Sure they do. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yep. I mean, you know, the, the people that are always screaming about police brutality or what have you, they always get more ink. But, yeah, every time we survey, Americans overwhelmingly think the cops are doing a great job. They overwhelmingly think in these police shooting incidents, for example, that the police are not to blame. Uh, Trump's approval numbers uh, are better than Obama's were at this stage. Uh, 43% of people think the country's headed in the right direction during Obama's final year. That was in, like, the mid-20s. Most of the indicators suggest that a sizable number of Americans are very happy with the way things are going. But you know as well as I do, uh, the media doesn't, doesn't cover good news. Mm-hmm. You, you don't see the front page of your newspaper covered with good news stories. You see, what, what's the old line about if it bleeds, it reads? Yep. That's the kind of stuff the media wants to report. They want to report people that are complaining. Yeah, I mean, I saw something about uh, there was a protest in Canada Yesterday, it might have been the one in Toronto, and a huge headline, and then turned out there were 150 people involved. So, oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, we had the thing here, the anti-gun thing, it was called the Million Woman March, and that thing had like a few thousand people, but it was routinely referred to as the Million Woman March. What worried me, uh, Fran, when I thought the United States might be on the brink of something extremely nasty, as far as civil unrest is concerned, is when police officers were being shot and killed almost on a daily basis. And when, it, when, when the situation in Dallas erupted, I thought, this could go really badly south in a hurry. And then it turned out that Dallas has such a uh, positive sort of municipal infrastructure or relationship with the people of the, the city who run the city with the people of the city that uh, everybody kind of started pulling together. And that, was, that, I think, diffused what potentially could have been a very serious situation. Right. Well, and we know a lot, you know, face it, a lot of, look at, I mean, Baltimore, which is right up the road from, from uh, us here. Um, I mean, look what a mess Baltimore is. I mean, Baltimore is the personification of liberal democratic rule. Okay. There hasn't been a Republican running Baltimore in decades. Okay. Uh, what hap- what's happened up there? Okay. We had the infamous Freddie Gray case, and immediately the cops started backing off. They thought, hey, you know, this is ridiculous. If we try to enforce the law, we're, the only thing we can do is either get killed or get sued. So the cops started backing off self-protection. Uh, you know, they won't say that for the record, but that's obviously what's happened. And, of course, the murder rate for Baltimore now is soaring to record levels. Mm-hmm. Um, the danger is not in suburbia. The danger is that level of danger does not exist most places in America. It exists in Chicago. It exists in Baltimore, cities which, you know, places, interestingly enough, which have some of the most stringent gun control laws in the, in the country. Uh, but, you know, America, by and large, is a pretty darn safe place. If something does erupt, if it does go south, if it does become an urban um, challenge or a, a violent challenge or over a period of time, you know it's all going to be Donald Trump's fault. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, listen, I, I'd be lying if I said, uh, I mean, if we had, you know, massive urban unrest like we had in the late 60s, say, following Martin Luther King's assassination, mm-hmm. and Trump sent in the troops, we might see some pretty nasty violence. Uh, I mean, I think ultimately the, the forces of law and order would win out. Uh, but, 
I mean, obviously the other side is cranking their people up to the max and forgiving them for any wrongdoing. Um, I mean, imagine. You, I mean, you obviously are familiar with the story about uh, Trump's press secretary and her and her uh, family group being yeah. uh, basically pushed out of the restaurant at the Red Hen. Yeah, at the Red Hen. Now, can you imagine if a gay wedding party had come in and the people had said, "Look, for religious reasons, the staff." doesn't want to serve you you're welcome to come back individually we, you know we'd love to have you as guests but for religious reasons we can't serve your group a, a gay wedding party group can you imagine the uproar in the media over that yeah that would have been uh, you know it's just and people see that i think people by and large see that hypocrisy and incidents like that speak volumes more than anything that comes out of maxine water's mouth fran thank you so much for joining us on canada day and uh, a couple of days early but happy fourth of july Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You take care. Thanks. Frank Coombs is the managing editor of Rasmussen Reports. Hit up Apple Podcasts or Google Play and subscribe to the Roy Green Show podcast. The Roy you want, when you want it. Conservative Party of Canada leader Andrew Scheer now. What do you, what do you make with Stephen Harper going to the White House on Monday? Well, you know, he's a, he's a private citizen and, and, uh, and he's you know, free to, to, to take these types of things. I, I note that uh, Minister uh, Chrystia Freeland indicated that, that she viewed this as a, a positive opportunity. Anytime Conservatives meet with our counterparts uh, around the world, we, we promote free and open trade. It's a, it's a key principle. It's a, it's a Conservative legacy. And I have no doubt that, uh, like, like any other uh, member of Parliament, past or present with, uh, within our party, that that, uh, that message would be uh, communicated. It, the Prime Minister has asked other Conservatives like Brian Mulroney and uh, Rana Ambrose, our former interim leader, to, to help out. I've gone down to Washington to meet with officials there and, and congressmen and women and, uh, and again, you know, promote that uh, the principles of, of free trade being good for for both countries. But if I, if I, if I can just touch back on, on what you mentioned about Canada being uh, near the bottom when it comes to getting our resources to market, that, that is something that, that, that affects all Canadians. It's, I think sometimes there is some... Uh, some people and, and some politicians who believe it's just a Western Canadian issue, uh, it's not. There are so many jobs throughout Ontario that depend on our natural resource sector. There are opportunities in Atlantic Canada for refinery jobs to to, to, to be created with things like Energy East. Uh, the United States has gone from being one of our biggest customers to being our biggest competitors. And we have a Liberal government that is making it more difficult to get these types of projects built. So they're going in completely the wrong direction. And and the quality of life for all Canadians is going to be greatly affected by the damage that this government's doing to our energy sector. There's Andrew Shear, yesterday on the program talking about Mr. Harper's visit to the White House tomorrow and the issue of trade between Canada and the United States. Want to hear more Roy Green? We've got you covered with the Roy Green Show podcast. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or Google Play. An Afghan military interpreter with a Canadian military officer about bringing the interpreter to Canada. And Alex is back with us in Afghanistan, and also with us is Major Mark Campbell of the Princess Patricia Canadian Light Infantry. We've talked to Major Campbell on many an occasion on this program. He's a member of the Equitas lawsuit. He uh, lost both of his legs in an IED attack in Afghanistan. And uh, he's actually one of the uh, veterans. Justin Trudeau was directly, directly speaking about when the Prime Minister said, well... They want more than we can give right now. Got money for other things, but not for the veterans. Major Campbell, good to speak with you again, sir. Good afternoon, Roy. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm good, thank you very much. Uh, just finished a, a brief rainstorm here, and 
sunny red deer, but uh, the sun's come out, so things are nice. And you're doing something for one of your buddies, right? Yeah, we're down doing uh, a show and shine. It's just wrapping up now uh, because of the rain more more than anything. But uh, we did a, a show and shine for uh, yeah for charity. He, he raises money. His uh, seventh annual year. The fellow's name is Glenn Rhodes, and uh, he's with the uh, Riders and Cruisers in Red Deer, which is his his uh, motorcycle club. And uh, every year they put on this uh, show and shine specifically uh, to raise funds for. PTSD uh, awareness and for first responder treatment, Isn't that uh, great? specifically through an organization called Can Praxis, which is equine therapy. So yeah, it's I, because and 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 you know th- these these individual and private efforts mean so much and help so much for veterans with PTSD and veterans who have other needs. Absolutely, that's why uh, my wife and I are down uh, down today supporting Glenn and supporting his his, his show and shine because it's important that people see. Uh, um, the, the, the need that exists, because the need is very much still out there. Major Campbell, tell us please about the interpreter, the Afghan interpreter you had with your unit, with the PPCLI in Afghanistan, and how important this interpreter uh, was to you and, and where the interpreter is now. Absolutely. Uh, my friend and brother, uh, Mohammed Rahman, uh, also known as Froggy, um, because of his rather hoarse voice, he was my interpreter in uh, 2008 on my second tour in Afghanistan when I was hit. And uh, for three and a half months, he and I were, uh, well, about as tight as a pair of brothers can be, I, I would suggest. Uh, we became good friends um, over time. Um, and he was much more than just an interpreter. I can get a machine to interpret. What I can't get a machine to do is to, um, or to translate. What I can't get a machine to do is interpret the culture for me, interpret the, 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 the do's and don'ts uh, of, of tribal culture in Afghanistan. And that's where the interpreter comes into play. He's your, he's if any, if nothing else, your ambassador to that, to that foreign culture. And he bridges that gap. I mean, oftentimes I'd go into a meeting and uh, Mohammed would be chatting for, you know, at least two, three minutes before, before I was, you know, expected to say anything. And what he would be doing is going through all of the Afghan niceties. How is your, how is your family? How is your sister? How are your brothers? How is it? And there's a certain pecking order you go down and, 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 and trade this information back and forth. And it's, it's these social niceties, the so-called three cups of tea before business is done, that the Afghan interpreter was, was essential to. My guy, he was my, not just my interpreter, he was my bodyguard. Uh, he carried a, an AK rifle alongside me. He'd been, a, he'd been a physician's assistant in Pakistan, so he carried a medical bag and was my, my first aid responder. Uh, when we were back in camp, sometimes he would cook up Afghan delicacies for us. I mean, he was the all-singing, all-dancing cultural attaché, I guess, for lack of a better, a better term. And um, fortunately for him, um, he was able to impress enough people over the course of his duties, myself included, that um, he was able to take advantage of that special program that you mentioned at the, at the opening of the show. And so uh, Mohammed and his family, his seven children and his wife, are, are now safely uh, and happily living in um, Ottawa, uh, Ontario, uh, where he's been for three years now. Uh, the children have all been through second language training. Uh, he and his wife have been through uh, second language training. They've, uh, they're all working or going to school, and they're productive members of Canadian society. Uh, just this past year, they all got their Canadian citizenship, which was a, a tremendous event in their lives. What a great story. What an absolutely great story. But we also know that at the same time, there are interpreters who uh, who did for other units what uh, Muhammad did for your unit, and they cannot get into Canada. 
I had this email yesterday from Alam Khan, and he writes uh, about you. He said uh, he thinks he knows you. His interpreter, Froggy, Foggy, was our supervisor for two years. Ask him if he knows Foggy, and then tell him to ask Mr. Froggy. Uh, he know I worked. He knows I worked with the same team. Um, anyway, he goes on to write that he's in Turkey, can't go back to Afghanistan. I'm sick. I've got throat problems. The doctor told me you need a tonsillectomy, a surgery, which I can't afford. Being as sick away from family, so here's an. I, I guess you know this uh, this gentleman. Well, I, 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 I don't recall the name specifically, but chances are, if I saw him, I'd know him. Yeah. Um, and that you know, it, 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 this is a tragedy uh, unfolding, and it's a tragedy that Canada bears some responsibility uh, towards, not for creating situations necessarily but for not responding after the fact mm -hmm. and uh i you know I, I think we do owe a duty of care to these people um you know provided they are who they say they are and that can certainly be checked out i mean it doesn't take a lot um even through word of mouth references like you you, you know you just mentioned yeah it, you know we should be looking after these people if in fact they are who they say they are because these people helped us when we needed help and now they need help. You know, it's our duty as, respons as responsible Canadians to be there for them. The Roy Green Show podcast. Ready and waiting for you anywhere, anytime. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Google Play today. Alex is still being chased by Al-Qaeda and the Taliban in Afghanistan. Something wrong here. Seriously wrong. Alex, how are you in Afghanistan? How are you, Alex? Hi, friend. I'm fine. I'm Really great to have you again and talk to you. I really appreciate your uh, work and your hard work and your time. And the co-workers and the staff that you're working in. I really appreciate your time. And I want to use this opportunity and happy birthday of uh, the 151st of Canada to all the Canadian citizens. And yeah, I mean, I thank you very much for your time. Your uh, I mean, the ones that you're working on your channel, I really appreciate it. Your life is in in danger. You're being you're being hunted by by the Taliban, correct? Exactly. It's something to consider. I mean, I want the Canadian officials to consider and think about this. I mean, we had a couple of uh, uh, shows. I mean, it was the uh, year. So I'm not. I mean, even for what's going to happen next. So I'm of course I'm I'm hiding from the from the Taliban in the back, and very importantly, let me thank Major Cumble's uh, services and team. Well, he, on Hammond and his, I mean he and his team, they help by asking task force and marksmanship principles or any kind of trainings or even missions. And of course, I'm really sorry what happened to him. So yeah, I mean this war is taking lives, injuries, wounds, and stuff like that, but. I'm really sorry for what happened to Major Combo, but I appreciate his services. All Canadians, women, I mean, men and women who serve Afghanistan, I really appreciate their, their services. Major Campbell, let me have you speak to Alex. Hello, Alex. Uh, how are you? Um, I'm, 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 I'm glad to hear that you are, are, are well now. I worry about you and, and, and other, other men like you, um, and uh, I sincerely hope with the help of, of Mr. Mr. Green and maybe people like myself as well, um, somehow we can talk to the right people and uh, see if we can't right um, a wrong 
and get you uh, where you belong here in Canada. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Uh, once again, I would like to say I'm sorry what happened to you. And, yeah, I'm really glad talking to you. So, uh, don't worry don't worry about me. Um, I'm a big boy, but I, I, I appreciate the sentiment. Um, and uh, I just, uh, I'm, I, you know, things, things are okay for me. Um, but you are a bit of a concern, uh, I would say. Uh, and, and I'm sure you know of others who are in a similar situation as you are. And uh, it's, it's, it's a shame that Canada's program has ended, but I don't think that's any reason why we can't um, do the right thing by, by people such as yourself. So I'm, I'm hoping that the Canadian government will somehow intercede and do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, 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 I mean if it's not possible to reopen that visa program, at least there should be another way, a like humanitarian way, just to save lives. I mean, look at the situation right now. I mean, illegal border crossers are coming in, uh, and of course, millions of refugees coming from around the world, and Syria, and Iraq, three countries. So we're not yeah. saving a few uh, lives of uh, left behind allies. I mean, who work for Canada, who serve for Canadian military, Afghanistan. So, I mean, this situation well, this is, is really this tough is, right this now. Is, this we're is this is how I see it as well, Alex. Is that is that? I mean, Canada accepts refugees from all over the world sight unseen we don't know these people but we bring them into our country and yes we we do some screening but as far as i'm concerned people like yourself with your letters of reference and everything else you've already been screened you've already proven your your value you've already paid your dues as it were if there are any dues to be paid and you should be in canada and quite frankly it's wrong that you're not and that needs to be addressed. Well, let's let's work on that, uh, Major Campbell. I'll uh, I'll I'll send you some more information about Alex, and uh-huh. uh, and and maybe you and I can contact some people. And you certainly know a great number of folks in the military, and uh, and and maybe we can. I hope we can help and get the Canadian people behind getting Alex and his brothers, who served so well and so d- devotedly, uh, our Canadian soldiers, in an effort uh, where they would have been, as you pointed out. Uh, in far more serious trouble if they hadn't had the interpreters with them. So, Alex, we'll, uh, I'm going to stay in touch with you. I'll get in touch with Major Campbell more about your situation, and we'll do our very best to get you into Canada. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I mean, I hope this happens I mean, in a soon time because I survived from three suicide attacks recently. Yeah. We will, we will work with you. The, 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 phones, the phone signal isn't the best. But I will get back to you in the next uh, week or so, and I'll let you know what's going on, okay? Thank you very much. All right, Alex. Take good care. And uh, that's, I mean that literally. Major Campbell, thank you very much, and I'll get back to you with more information about Alex. Absolutely. Sounds good. Good talking to you again. All the best. All right. Take care. Major Campbell, uh, Major Mark Campbell from the PPCLI and Alex in Afghanistan, and we'll do what we can to uh, persuade the Canadian government to do the right thing. Mr. Trudeau is aware of the situation, and if returning ISIS terrorists are allowed to walk freely in Canada without any encumbrance, I see no reason for not bringing Alex and the interpreters into this The Roy Green Show podcast is the only podcast hosted by Roy Green. Which makes sense. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or Google Play. A customer wearing a Make America Great Again hat was told to leave if he wanted service at a tea room in Vancouver. 
Now, have a listen to the story as it was reported on Global News, because this tells exactly what happened, and then I'll bring you up to date on what's gone on in the last 18 or so hours. Listen to this. The Tea House restaurant nestled in Vancouver's Stanley Park and U.S. President Donald Trump. The two worlds colliding in late June. We will make America great again. Darren Hodge opening up on Facebook about how he told a young American wearing a Make America Great Again hat to take it off if he wanted to dine at the tea house. Hodge's actions cost him his job as restaurant manager. Free speech in the United States, you need to let him wear the hat. Well, I am very anti-Trump, so I would... <laughs> Also, didn't get that hat off. Plus, who wears a hat inside going into a restaurant? That's rude. I don't like Donald Trump either, but um, I think free speech is really important. The Tea House's parent company says the employee was fired because he is expected to abide by and promote our company's philosophy of tolerance and respect when representing our restaurant. Employment lawyer Leah Moody says neither party appears to be in the wrong. The manager could very well have been within his right to ask the customer to remove his hat and to deny service on that basis. Equally, the employer could have been well within their rights to terminate as long as the termination was what we call without cause, which means that the employee would have been provided with a full severance for his termination. Hodge telling Global News it was worth it. The MAGA hat has come to symbolize racism, bigotry, Islamophobia, misogyny, white supremacy, homophobia. As a person with a strong moral backbone, I had to take a stand against this guest's choice of headwear while in my former place of work. Absolutely no regrets. Kristen Robinson, Global News. So there's the story as uh, reported by Global News. And Mr. Darren Hodge is without a job. And uh, if I were an employer and Mr. Hodge applied for a job with me, there isn't a snowball's chance in hell he'd get a job. His job was to manage the restaurant not to decide for himself that one of uh, his customers, an American customer at that, didn't have the right to wear the Make America Great Again hat. I wouldn't give a rat's patootie what it symbolizes to Mr. Hodge. The customer was there to eat, drink, leave money, and do what the restaurant does. You know, take advantage of the services the restaurant offers. So the company fired him, and they were absolutely correct to do that. Now, there's been, a, there's been a, a, apparently a lot of response, I'm not surprised, online. Um, uh, he, Mr. Hodge, I, I, no, I, somebody wrote, we'll be canceling my daughter's bachelorette party of 50 after learning of this despicable behavior, whether or not that person actually has a daughter or had planned a bachelorette party, God knows. People make stuff up. Um, and uh, somebody else wrote, Trump supporting owner absolutely should not support a restaurant with such horrible morals. This was a visitor to Vancouver who sat down in a restaurant, which is a public, which is a, a business which invites the public to do exactly that. Sit down, enjoy the ambiance, have a drink, have some food, carry on with your time. It's not up to a restaurant manager to make a decision such as Mr. Hodge made. And if he doesn't have any regrets, 
Well, that's fine. He deserves what he got, and good luck getting another job, Darren. I don't know, maybe you're a good restaurant manager. But, you know, I, I, <laughs> there are things I want to say that I won't. Visit Apple Podcasts or Google Play now and sign up for the Roy Green Show podcast 100% free. 100% Roy. Well, thanks for joining us on today's podcast. Have a great week. The Roy Green Show podcast is available wherever you find podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you like what you hear, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a review and tell a friend.